Apple presents events at the Apple Store. So let's give a warm welcome to Kelly Hoey from Women Innovate Mobile. So I'm Kelly Hoey, one of the co-founders of Women Innovate Mobile, and I'm thrilled to see everyone here on this day that's supposed to be spring in New York, and Mother Nature has done something else to us. So um, anyway, I don't know, is there a pop-up with some puffer coats? I mean, winter? Anyway. I'm going to introduce our panel. We're going to dive in on this. I want you to have your questions so we can make this as interactive um, and informative for all of you. So I'm going to start at the end with Ashley, Queen of Digital, Editor-in-Chief at uh, Daily Candy, award-winning content director for Women and Teen Networks at Hearst. Is there anything you haven't done? Um, yeah, there are a few things on my list. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll get into those. Uh, so what's a strategist for social, web, email, mobile, video, like, where is your interest in this physical world of pop-ups? Yeah, so I think that over the past few years, the lines between creator and consumer and curator have completely blurred. And so in creating content, I think it's very important for a brand to build out their personality and show that there is some kind of personality behind that brand. And so whatever the platform is, I, I always try to make sure that it shows that there's you know, a brain and a heartbeat and you know, some passion behind everything that we create. And I think the pop-ups just literally bring that to life as well. Great, thank you. Um, in the middle, Alexa, um, co-founder and director of product at Modabound, a mobile app which enables college students to shop stylish closets on campus. Um, you were formerly biz dev at Tumblr, but I want you to tell us more about Modabound, um, you know, the generation which represents social and mobile. Um, tell us all about how Modabound came to be. Sure, yeah, so um, I started Motivan when I was in college uh, because if there's one thing we whine about, it's not having enough clothes in college and having to get rid of the clothes that we already have, but we're broke, so we want more, so what do we do? And our my co-founder and I were like, okay, we can share with maybe five friends, but what if we could just shop from everyone's closet on campus? So that's why we built Motobound, um, to solve this dire, dire problem that we all have. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we built it as a mobile app, and we actually just launched this January. So it's very, it's very, very new. Uh, but a key component of Motobound is that while they're communicating online on our app, they're meeting in person to complete transactions. And that's kind of where the pop-up story begins for us. Um, yeah. Awesome, and we're going to get into that. And sitting right next to me, my friend Melissa, who uh, quietly started her career on Wall Street and then leapt into, I want to say, a completely different e-commerce world. Um, you're a pop-up architect. You're the founder of the Lioness Group. Um, the advisory board for the storefront.com, which is in the news over the past 24 hours, what trouble have they been getting into? <laughs> Uh, the storefront just announced they raised their first Series A round of $7.3 So it was exciting this week. And for people who don't know what the storefront.com does? Uh, they are an Airbnb for uh, commercial real estate. So it's an online destination where you can easily find options for short-term real estate leases and license agreements. That's a nice Series A. Um, you're also a, a guest blogger for Shopify, which... For people who don't know, that's technology that fuels a lot of e-commerce sites. Uh, and in 2009, when most of us were worried about the economy, you um, founded RS Pop with the Roger Smith Hotel. How'd you come up with that idea? 
Um, so the RS Pop was our first venture into experimenting with pop-up stores, and it was an accident. I, I quit Wall Street to be famous actress. Um, <laughs> But I hated auditioning, so I created my own web series, and um, I happened to film the pilot of that with the son who owns the Roger Smith Hotel, and he said, Melissa, we have these empty spaces. Do you want to experiment? And I said, okay, sure. I'll walk into that situation. And um, I got paid in clothes, and, um, and it was exciting, and, and people loved the idea right away, and we started booking up the space month after month, and I said, okay, well, I need more spaces, and it went from there. Okay, that's part of the story I didn't know. And, you know, my past life as a lawyer, I usually like to ask questions where I know the answer, so, you know, thank you for sharing that one. Um, so, Melissa, when, I mean, you are sort of talking sort of accidentally um, about noticing... Um, pop-ups, but when did you, and I'm looking down at Ashley at the end with 14 years of, of the Daily Candy reporting on all things fun and fashion and food and trends, when did you start noticing pop-ups? I mean, the pop-ups aren't necessarily a new trend. I think there's just been an evolution of how brands are utilizing pop-up shops. You know, uh, the Christmas store and the Halloween shop, I mean, they, their seasonality lend itself to doing pop-ups since year, you know decades back. Um, but you know, when we started doing it in 2009, it was more of brands responding to the economy and not signing long-term leases and a lot of emerging designers you know, launching their sites on Etsy and, and really wanting an opportunity to, to meet with a customer without signing a long-term lease. I think what we're seeing is that trend of why people are doing it continues to shift. And you're seeing now major brands do it, brands that have uh, brick and mortar year-round, and they're doing it more for marketing efforts. So they're doing it more to bridge that gap between touch and feel because there's something new that they're introducing, um, or they want to they want to collect more data. Um, so you're seeing a lot of the brands coming more of that mindset and technology catching up with it with innovative tools that people can use to understand their customers better. So they can target us. Ashley, your thoughts in terms yeah. of watching these trends from both the perspective of the Daily Candy and Hearst and all these years, like, what's your thoughts? I think it's, it's the evolution of literally a vendor or an artisan or craftsman wanting to get their, their goods out there. So I think it started at the festivals and the fairs with the table and then graduated into, you know, having four walls around that table and a door leading into it um, and, and a storefront. So I think that, you know, it's, it's an interesting way to, again, build that personality into the brand and have that physical touch point with the consumer. Um, if it's an online-only vendor. You know I'm looking at you, Alexa. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> you saw that sideways look. Okay, so you've done six, six yes, pop-ups. we've done six, yeah. Okay, so talk us through that. Yeah, so um, as I mentioned briefly, what's special about Motorbound is that even though girls are listing items online, they're actually meeting offline to buy. And um, the reason we wanted to give them that option is because we noticed that even though this generation is online a lot, they still actually shop offline most of the time. So about 70% of girls between 18 and 25 research the things online, but buy it offline. So we wanted to give them the option to do that. And when we saw that they were meeting up, we figured, why don't we just make this a bigger, funner process and have them ho have our sellers host their own on-campus pop-up shops. 
So we reached out to sellers on Motobound and we asked them, hey, want to get two more, maybe three more other sellers just like you together, whether it be in a dorm or a lounge or anything like that, because luckily they're in college, they have access to these spaces and want to just buy and sell multiple items at the same time. So then we started hosting these. So we've had six um, and they're relatively small because they're on campus. So maybe the turnout is about 30 to 40 girls. Um, but 20% of stuff gets sold, and, and what, what we care about is that not only are we kind of growing on campus because of it, because it, it just gives us more users, but it gets them more engaged, and kind of back to that, that brand thing we talked about, about getting them to feel and touch the brand that you're offering them, that's what we're doing, kind of we're bringing Motobound literally physically to them, and that, um, that's very useful for us, so yeah. That's great, that's great. Melissa, thoughts, Ashley? Thoughts on no, this sort I, of this I mean, unconventional, you know, when you think about... I mean, there's definitely categories that I, it can sell easier online. So a woman's more likely to buy an accessory online or a brand where she already knows the fit and is reordering the newest color. Um, you know, she knows how that jean fits. But if it's an if it's a if it's a emerging designer, if it's apparel where fit matters, yes, women like to to feel to feel it yeah. and try it on in person, and then the conversion rates are higher. I think when you think about. Um, consumer patterns and then the way that people buy. People are buying experiences more than anything, um, more than actual products. And I think pop-ups specifically bring that point of relevance. Um, again, the personality, I'll say it numerous times, um, but the relevance and the, and the personality to, to a brand from a hyper-local perspective, if, if they are broad and national, um, and then to, to a live perspective if they are online. So let's stick with the experience. Melissa, you did a very interesting pop-up earlier this year um, with um, Daisy Chain, Mark Jacobs, um, and the purchase price was social currency. Can you talk about that? Because that was it was an experience store. Yeah, the um, the tweet shop. Um, you you paid with a tweet, literally. So um, my what, kind of currency. <laughs> <laughs> so. What I think was really great for the brand was it made it much more uh, as an approachable brand. I think it was great that they did it during Fashion Week where people are coming into New York City uh, wanting to be part of that bigger conversation and they allowed people to do that. You know, you didn't have to be uh, an A-list celebrity or a major blogger to go in and experience the brand. Um, you didn't even have to have money. You didn't even have to have a lot of followers. You just literally had to participate in the conversation. So that was really uh, smart for them. They got thousands of posts with the, with the hashtag. And if you showed the tweet counter, the picture that you posted, you got a free product. And if you had a really interesting image uh, that we walked around the store and selected people throughout the day and you got a handbag or you got a higher priced item and, and it didn't matter how many followers you had, it was just that you participated. So that was really strong for them. And, you know, at the end, they get great data on what people are saying about them, who's influential for their brand, maybe people they didn't think of in the past, and what kind of word sentiment is being put out there, you know, associated with their brand. So it was great information for them later. Clearly, I didn't post an interesting enough picture. You did a fabulous job. I know I tweeted, but I didn't get anything other than the free sample. So, okay, I'll know for next time. I'm going to try harder on this. Um, thoughts, I want to say, Ashley, you know, in terms of um, pop-ups of you have um, attended, walked into where it's the experience that is something that you have felt has been unique or different? 
Yeah, can I talk about the Daily Candy, Papa? Please talk about the Daily Candy, because <laughs> okay. there you are. Daily Candy, we know this, they get this great email of weird, uh, you know, fabulous things for fashion and food and what's hot and what trends are. And in December, you did a pop-up. Yeah, so it was, um, it was a huge building, three floors, and Daily Candy is national, but it is also a local brand. And so um, the editors came together and curated their favorite craftsmen and artisans and vendors um, that we've written about uh, across all of our cities and pulled them into one place. And so it really was, it's called the Daily Candy Bazaar, and it was um, a celebration of the brand. And so I think that um, your participation point was so, so key because we enabled our readers to obviously participate in the vendors that we'd written about that year and that we were celebrating online, but we also enabled the the readers to participate with Daily Candy as a brand. Our editors were there. Um, we did talks like these every few hours with our vendors and with um, some demonstrations here and there. And so it really was a celebration of the people we wrote about, the world we live in, and the world that we've curated for our readers. That's great. That's great. And, and you know, if you think about uh, you know, a driving force why people go to pop-up stores is the sense of urgency, but it's the sense of like that human connection. And, you know, through the years of pop-up stores, we see a high correlation of success rate when it's the actual designer running the pop-up store versus, you know, just hiring in a sales associate because they get to meet the designer, they get to meet the person, you know, learn their passion, the story. They feel like that designer is, is their friend now and that they want to support and be an evangelist for and share it on their social media channels. Um, We've hooked Kelly a few times that way, coming to our pop-up <laughs> stores and get her to shop and become friends with the designer. Um, uh, yeah, Gail at the NFP. I could kill you. Thank exactly. you. Exactly. But you look fabulous. Um, but also, you know, we work with the brands a lot to make sure that that story is being told. And we also see that impact the success rate of the pop-up store when there's a, you know, a, a clear story being told in the window that associates the lifestyle of the brand. So then the customer is feeling like they're walking into that story and that they want that life to be their life life and they're more likely to shop it as well. I mean, you just thought it was easy to, to sell some stuff, but this is like far more complicated. Um, and I was, what was I reading today when I was doing research for the panel? Oh, Buffalo Exchange, their 40th anniversary, celebrated with a traveling pop-up in a 1969 Airstream. I mean, at some point, I mean, have you, thinking, looking at you, Melissa, there's times when people have said they've got ideas and you're like, really? Really? In terms of the experience? Or you think it's you know, we're just seeing the, t the sort of the tipping point of what people want to do with this, I want to say, genre of shopping. No, I think it'll continue to evolve. I mean, we see it as people come in and call the office and what they want to do at the pop-up stores continues to evolve. I think, you know, social currency happened uh, with Marc Jacobs in February. We'll see how people evolve that at the next Fashion Week. Um, so I think it's just the beginning. It's gone from just being in, in brick and mortar traditional stores to outfitting shipping containers to, to school buses um, to, for it to be traveling. So I think it's going to continue to evolve. Well, we'll watch with keen eyes. All right, so let's get some, hit some practical stuff. Um, what questions should someone, if they're sitting here in the audience watching this podcast, what should they be asking themselves before they launch a pop-up? You want to start, Melissa? And then we'll, okay, and sure. then we'll, pop, um, we'll pop down the line, so to speak. Question number one, which might seem most obvious, what is your goal? Um, a lot of people want to do a pop-up because it's the thing to do, but they don't really sit back and think of the goal of the pop-up. Is it sales? Is it building customer appreciation? Is it to test a new market? Um, is it 
for um, customer education because you have a highly technical product with an interesting formulation. Um, so, so really thinking of that question first and then thinking of what is the brand brief and what is your customer demo? What is your promise that you want to deliver and how are you going to do that in a physical space? Um, so, so that's what I would start with. And then once you have those questions figured out, then you can start thinking through budget, location, um, decor, but all of it should serve the purpose of the goal that you've cr created from s step one. Seeing nodding down the line, <laughs> thought, thought, thoughts there. No, it's true, and the, the goal thing was very important for us when we, when we started hosting them because first it was just kind of like, oh, we wanna make it easier for them to buy and sell from one another, so let's have them meet up, a lot of them together instead of one, but then we realized that the deeper goal of the pop-up was actually to to emphasize the community part about Motobound and um, to have them remember what our brand stands for. So then the goal kind of shifted as we started hosting these. So I, th I, I totally agree. The goal is you got to get that clear <laughs> before you start putting you your money you, into it. You yeah. just thought you'd get these girls to do this. And yeah, then you're we were like, oh, this is probably the easiest way, you know, numbers. But no, it's, it's, it was deeper than that. Damn and, it, more work. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but it's been, it's been fruitful, so that's good. That's, that's yeah. great. Ashley, thoughts? I think it can be distilled into the value proposition for the customer. Right? And so what exactly do you want them to walk away with? And when they walk into the, to the store, you know, offering them either some utility or charm and delight. And when they walk out, um, making sure that they're glad that they walked in in the first place. Um, and we've touched on this in, you know, thinking particularly, Melissa, the... Um, the Marc Jacobs pop-up. I mean, people aren't going it alone when they do a pop-up. They're bringing in other brands um, and elements. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? And I know Alexis nodding because we've talked about we talked we talked about this before. I don't surprise you with stuff. I bring back stuff we've <laughs> talked about. But you know, because I I know that you know you'll be doing a pop-up, but it's not just about that one brand. Anyway, talk about that, that integration of other right. um, elements. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we work on when we work with a brand is, you know, what elements are going to serve the, further serve the purpose of the goal. Um, and so that's how you pick those parts. But, um, you know, it can vary from brand to brand of what that is. But what is going to complete that lifestyle message? Um, what can you put around your brand that serves the same customer, but doesn't share, you know, compete for wallet share, um, what's going to further enhance that m message, that overall message that you're trying to give to that customer. So um, with, for instance, we did the Jay Hilburn pop-up store. Um, it was all about what does that man, like, what, is his, what does he believe in? What does he love? What does he cherish? So instead of just serving wine, we brought in bird dog whiskey and bourbon. And instead of just serving a snack, we brought in um, energy-infused uh, perky jerky. And, um, <laughs> Which is really good stuff. Yeah, and so, um, you know, at the Marc Jacobs store, there was um, um, a solar-powered coffee trike on a bike, and it was the first time it was ever unveiled. But it was all things that would appeal to that same customer. Um, and then you also want to work with those brands to be sure they're not just, you know, showing up in your store, but you guys have a social media strategy together, and so that you're cross-promoting each other, and so you can leverage each other's following, and so that you can cross-promote each other. And that helps... Uh, further leverage the amplification and the reach that you can have of your pop-up store. Very cool. Um, Ashley, in terms of, um, I, I had, my bad, I had no idea that the, um, 
Daily Candy pop-up was so big, three floors. How did you plan that in terms of, all right, yes, these are brands and, you know, designers and people that you've loved and worked with and featured, but how did you curate that? I know it's a thousand, but you had to, I mean, you've curated and highlighted thousands over the years. How did you choose and curate and how did you kind of integrate that into a, a whole so that really represented you know your brand yeah it was um it was a feat and it took the whole team to do for sure um we wanted to make sure of a few things we wanted to make sure that um all of our cities were represented all of our core cities and then we also wanted to make sure that all of our channels were represented so on the bottom floor there was food and drink and um in the middle floor it was kids and home um and some fashion and then on the top floor um it was more fashion and beauty and style and so we just wanted to make sure that we were showing the depth of the offerings of content on Daily Candy, um, and then the breadth of the vendors as well, and making sure that um, we were hitting all of our price points and and really serving the consumer, whoever they were, that walked in. Cool. So, Alexa, you first of all thought you'd just let the girls go it alone with the, the pop-ups, and then you're like, no, 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 Motobound's got to be there. Yeah. Who, no. else, who else is joining this, I want to say, on-campus party? Yeah, so um, we first thought, let them do it alone, but we had our, our brand ambassadors there. So that is still how the campus part works, and they do a fantastic job at kind of organizing it per campus so we don't have to deal with it, um, basically. And then we thought, well, you know, this is interesting. People are, are, are getting pretty engaged, why don't we ask brands if they want to be involved? So our next, we haven't done it yet, so we'll see what happens, but our, our next pop-up shop is happening on the 26th of April, and we're getting just small New York boutiques that are interested in the college demographic to show up and offer college girls a discount if they're Motobound members at the event. Um, so we're really excited about this because for starters, it was extremely easy to convince them, which we, we really didn't know how much, how, much, how much interest they would have, how much, you know, what their reach is into the college demographic. We, d we don't know their figures, we don't know what they're doing, but they were super responsive, really excited, and then our girls are very excited too. So um, it's kind of, we'll see what happens, but we are very excited about in the future having these campus ones, but then maybe the off-campus college-focused brand pop-up shops also, and doing a combination of the two. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so how do you measure the ROI on, the, uh, on, on having these kind of experiences? Um, okay, so I'm going to go back to the goal again, um, because <laughs> that, that, should it, goal. Well, that should inform you of what you're trying to track, so hopefully you're doing it from day one, um, but there's different buckets, so you're, there's sales, that's probably the most obvious, um, you want to track uh, average cart size and you know any factors that are contributing to that, try to take note of, um, there's great uh, POS systems now that provide more data than they had in the past, so you can find those things out and tie it into time of day, um, you can tie it into you know, weather, you can tie it into, you know, looking at what's sold online versus offline because maybe something had um, more requirements for trying it on because it was a versatile piece, um, what colors are selling better, patterns that read better in person or offline. So knowing that information is going to be helpful. Um, if you have a strong social media strategy, there's a lot of tools for you to track those analytics. Um, you you want to, you know, you can use 
a site like tagboard.com, if you create a hashtag before your pop-up store opens and really track the conversation that's happening leading up to your pop-up store until the end. Maybe there's influencers that cared about your brand that you didn't know about that you can then reach out to and create marketing strategies with after the pop-ups ended. Um, you know, we've used uh, great systems like um, Photo Forward uh, is, a, is, a, is a photo booth that grabs images from the cloud, and at the end of that, you get a report of the influencers that talked about you, what reach did they have, what word sentiment was associated with your pop-up. So um, those are great marketing tools that you can use after the fact. Um, and then there's other stuff uh, that's... Um, usually lends itself to larger brands, but you could put sensors in the store and, and beacon technology, and you could know, you know when there was more foot traffic that went by your window and, and, and when they uh, stood there longer to, to, to peer in and then actually come inside, and that can give you um, ideas of you know, how you should design your space um, maybe the second half of the month or for your next pop-up store. See, I, I sit here really interested when I hear all of this and I'm thinking, no, 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 I'm one of those consumers that someone is going to be tracking and beaconing and sensing and tweeting at. Anyway, that's for another conversation. Um, ROI, thoughts? I agree with everything that Melissa just said. <laughs> uh, you know, I think that um, for the daily candy pop-up uh, specifically, we measured two things. We measured vendor satisfaction because we asked these very small business owners to donate their time um, and to travel, some of them long distances, to, to be part of this. And they were selling their, their wares. But, you know, for a small business owner to take three days out of their, their world, it's, it's a commitment. And so looking at vendor satisfaction and then looking at um, customer satisfaction, reader satisfaction, we did that just through the social footprint that we left. Um, kind of in the sand after Daily Candy Bazaar uh, closed up, you know, the hashtags that were used and the retweets and the check-ins and every other kind of social beacon um, that we were able to measure. Cool. What do you think in terms of ROI? Alexa, you're like, oh, I'm going to revise my entire strategy so Melissa <laughs> doesn't yell at me later. No, no. I mean, it's very, all these, to I'm the tools, I'm thinking about these tools we need. Um, I mean, so because, you know, we just started all of this and really the focus for us is to get users and that they stay. <laughs> That's really, and the, we see the pop-up shops as a way to do that versus, for example, selling more items. Like we're not, we're not at that point yet. Um, really what we track is signups and retention during like pre, post and yeah, pre, during and post pop-up shops. Like that's what really um, they do for us right now. So clear goal, yeah. clear yeah. measurement tool. Yeah. Fabulous. Keep it, keep it easy. Um, I've got a couple more questions and then I'm going to, open it up so if you've got questions get ready there's going to be yes our friends in blue with microphones so don't hold back um melissa you mentioned before influencers how and what's the strategy for approaching influencers um and influencer marketing for pop-ups um, or do you have some best practice <laughs> tips, ideas? Yeah, this is tricky, and I'm sure Ashley can chime in on this after me. But I, it really depends at the stage of your brand, right? So for larger brands, they probably have PR companies, and you know you, you can hire, uh, you know, reach out to agencies uh, like Social Light Collective and stuff, and who who specializes in representing influencers. Um, if you're a newer brand, um, you can you know use guerrilla tactics and, and see who's out there. See who's already following you. Has anybody been um, already been commenting on your, on your social tools or maybe a brand that's similar to yours? 
Um, you want to do your research that way and create a strategy um, to appeal to them. So if they're new to you, maybe you're going to say, uh, we'll give you a complimentary gift if you come to our opening reception, and here's a discount code that you could provide to your readers. Um, maybe you invite them to co-host a night with you, and so now you've endowed them with the physical space that they can use to leverage their, uh, their brand and their following. And if they come in, they can give style tips and they're the highlight of the night and uh, it, it associates their brand with your brand. And so you, you have to think uh, in a way that's gonna appeal to them. And even though you might not be paying them with money, you're, you're paying them back with something that's beneficial to them. So the influencers at the Daily Candy Bazaar were our editors going back to the point of really bringing that personality to the brand and bringing the brand to life. Um, so we had talks like these anywhere from three to five each day, um, led by our editors. And so I interviewed a few people. Um, people could come up and, and do a beauty tutorial with our beauty editor and, and a, um, a home tutorial with our home editor, with our vendors. And so the editors were the stars of the pop-up. And it was a really great experience to um, have our readers there, know that our readers were, were reading us every day and connecting with our content from an online perspective, and then to be at the bazaar and connect with our editors in real life, too. That's great. That's great. Um, what's the, just pra another practical question, in terms of, uh, hey, I want to do a pop-up, what's the usual timeline in terms of the, the planning to the actual execution of an event? I mean, it obviously varies if you have three stories and a thousand vendors, um, but what are we talking about kind of planning and timeline? I mean, you're, you maybe just go down the line. How long did it, how long did it take to plan that? Um, it, it was definitely, we needed more. I think we you'll always need like yeah, an, you'll always another month, yeah. <laughs> another week. Um, but I think uh, from concept to execution, it was two and a half months. Wow. That, that sounds about right. That, you know, I say to brands, ideally, you give me three months to plan with you. Um, and we can pull it off in two. Um, a shorter period of time, you're, you're shortchanging yourself a bit because you're not giving yourself an opportunity to really think through your strategy, all the moving elements, uh, all the strategic partnerships and sponsors you could bring in, and you're limiting yourself for your media outreach strategy because you're going to miss certain deadlines and um, you might not be able to get included in holiday gift guides or trend stories and things like that. So I would say ideally three months, um, two at the minimum. Okay. So we're going to go to questions, but while they're... You're putting up your hand with your questions. There's been a lot of great resources that have been mentioned. So I'm going to get each of these great women to give their Twitter handles so that you can tweet at them if they, you know, say, hey, Melissa, what did you, did you mention? So, Melissa, your Twitter handle is? Oh, okay. I'm at Mel's, M-E-L-S, Styles with an S at the end. Perfect. Alexa. Um, at Alexa. Vars, V-A-R-S. Perfect. And, and, and is it there's just at Motobound as well? On there's at Motobound too. Awesome. I'll be there too. <laughs> You'll be there too. It's at Ashley T. Parrish. And that's Parrish with two R's. Perfect. All right. And I'm at J.K. Hoey. So you can always say, Kelly, where were they again? Anyway, let's jump to questions. Uh, in terms of selecting a venue for a, uh, a pop-up, have you seen any that seemed like a great idea and then that just turned out to be bad? Maybe it's a, you know, it was a coffee shop, but the overwhelming smell of the coffee was too much or, you know, something like that. Have you had any experiences? And I think I'm speaking mostly to M Melissa for this one. 
Um, I, I can't say like I've seen disasters happen, but I would say that I think that there are certain neighborhoods, especially in Manhattan, that have like a sexiness to them that everybody thinks that that's just where there should be. So everybody wants to be in Soho, um, tends to be much more expensive. But if you don't go back to thinking of the goals of your pop-up, it, it could not, it could be the trendiest neighborhood, but maybe not the most beneficial for you um, because there's not, your key customer isn't naturally there. So uh, you're closing before they can get downtown from out of work or, um, you know, they can't get there on weekends. So really think through like where your key customer is naturally and the, that's most helpful in the beginning because for them to get to you. Um, I've also seen people take on larger spaces than are necessary. Um, they think that more is more and sometimes it's not. Um, so that's been challenges and then it's really hard to create that like warm lifestyle experience in that space because they overshot. And so those are two things to keep in mind when planning out a location. I mean, one wh of the things you're doing this summer, what is it, a pop-in? What, what, what is it you're doing this summer? So we have a partnership in the Hamptons this summer, and that's more of a pop-in, uh, which, <laughs> which is also um, a trend. Um, so, you know, I think the definition of pop-ups definitely expanded. So you have people doing full store pop-ups, uh, part of store pop-ups, which is a pop-in or a store in store. Um, they're doing a pop-up shelf in a store. Um, <laughs> so I isn't mean, that just a display? I'm sorry. So people love the word; it's trendy. Um, but I would say my biggest tip in any of those situations: just think of your brand. Make sure what you're affiliating your brand with is on brand because in the long run, it's not going to be beneficial for your brand if not because now you've changed the affiliation that the customer is going to have with your brand message. Cool. I guess to keep it simple, uh, pop-ups versus co-ops where several independent designers, you know, collaborate. What are your views on that? Thoughts? Ashley, I want to say from your experience and you know, thoughts. I, I think that um, a successful pop-up has some kind of consistency to it. And so if uh, Daily Candy, we, it was a pop-up, but you could also call it a co-op because it was multiple vendors and um, they all had, had different goals, but it was all under the umbrella of Daily Candy. Um, so I would say consistency is key, whether it's a pop-up or, or a co-op, to make sure that um, the value that you're offering the consumer and the experience that you're offering the consumer um, is consistent throughout the whole, whole show. Melissa? Um, and I see the, these collectives happening a lot with emerging designers, for example. Um, I think that it could be very beneficial, but I think that... Um we just wrote a blog post about this. I think that um, there's, a, there's just key things you want to keep in mind. So again, ideally, you all going after the same customer, you have a, a, you, you know, a decent range within price points. So somebody shouldn't be selling a good for $25, and then you have somebody who has a necklace for $1,000. Um, it's not going after the same customer. And if you can create a store that is well merchandised, so maybe it's not all handbag designers unless it's a handbag pop-up, but there's a handbag, there's a jewelry designer, there's a clothing designer. So you've, you have this like full-on outfit experience in the space, that would be helpful. You have to trust each other, be clear of the dynamic of the situation, and then make sure that you're making agreements to cross-market with each other. It shouldn't be on the onus of one person for the opening reception. You should all be there, have spotlight nights, pull resources on your, blasting out to your newsletter. Think of those aspects are in place. It could be very successful for you. Great. Hi guys, I'm just curious, could it be virtual or digital or mobile? Does it have to be physical? Because all these rules it seems could apply to 
anything. You can curate it, you can create an experience, you can partner with other brands. Are you seeing that at all, or is that something you think might be possible? We definitely see mobile pop-ups. Um, absolutely, uh, you just need but, a but permit. Mo but, mo um, but mobile in terms of moving is about as mobile yeah, in terms of... Yeah, as of moving, go where your customer is. So, or do you mean on a phone? Oh, I mean, you see the virtual pop-ups. I've seen that a bit. Um, I don't see it as much uh, because it uh, it's a, it's an interesting marketing strategy, but it doesn't it doesn't fulfill that bridging the gap of touch and feel and really interacting in person. And maybe the closest you come to that are like flash sales online. I think maybe that that's similar, but but it doesn't get that. Yeah, yeah I've seen in London experience. a bit. There's some companies that kind of they have it, uh, a virtual experience of the pop up that's happening. So uh, think of um, how you can do the room tours when you're looking at a hotel website. So they have technology that allows you to be part of that virtual pop-up while it's happening. Um, but that's, that's probably the most innovative I've seen. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting when you think of this sort of evolution of this retail experience from, in some cases, it is economic development or you know, downtown revitalization, why they've had uh, landlords with empty space, why they've wanted... Um, uh, emerging designers, brands move in and, and do a pop-up, um, but in an age where, you know, you can order anything online, we still we still want to do this, and we can tweet to our heart's content, but we still want to meet someone, you know, face-to-face. -face. Um, more questions. So we're an emerging designer, and we just have a question in terms of at what point um, should you have a pop-up? Is it is it a successful time when you have a launch party as a pop-up, or is it more successful when you're more established and have that following? You can chime in, too, because uh, <laughs> you just <laughs> launched. <laughs> um, but I'll start. I mean, I, I've worked with both, and I think that... Um, as long as your goals are clear, it can be it's, uh, your your measurements of success will vary, right? So if it's a new launch, then it's um, you know um, activating your friends and family and and getting them to spread to their networks and really getting that early information out there and you know giving them a call to action when they come to the store outside of just shopping, but sharing it on their channel so you know they can help encourage more people to start researching you. Make sure you're getting tons of photos and content so it's not just about while doors are open and what happened, but you have a strategy for after. And if you leverage that from your launch date, it can be highly uh, successful and helpful for you. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, as long as the, that timeline is still the same of you accepting how long it actually takes to plan the pop-up and you do all the kind of pre, during, post, it can be part of the launch strategy. I, I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, I would say think about the distribution, right? Understanding exactly who your demo is and making sure that you can reach them before you launch something so that you make sure that you get them through those doors. Ex excellent question. Great panel so far. Um, my question is more yeah, don't on... Don't blow it with this question. Yes. Yeah. My question on. is more on the... Um, maybe, Kelly, you can answer this. On the legal side of things, like, so if you're moving, say you're already in a store, but maybe you're going somewhere else, or you're a restaurant or a chef, and you're going somewhere else, like, what are, are there legal things we need to watch out for? Are there um, fees in the cities and things like that that we need to make sure we're watching out for as you're moving to these pop-up locations? Yeah, I'm going to say, as my past life as a lawyer happily in retirement from that. I'm not even going to touch the legal aspects of it. But I mean, Melissa, you've done pop-ups outside of New York. And I mean, everything from moving things, shipping containers. I mean, they, depending on the pop-up, I'm going to say, Ashley as well, if, you know, three floors, you know, a thousand vendors. 
you know, you've got probably every aspect of, of business from legal to city to permits, you know. Yeah, I mean, what's required is going to definitely vary from city to city. It's going to vary from product to product. So, um, you know, as far as like legality f for customers, you know, be really clear with your language there. If you're, if you're filming them, if you're photographing them, make sure that there's language saying, you know, like, tonight? like you saw tonight that you can end up on our social media channels. Um, if you are a food vendor, there's, there's certain licenses and permits that you're gonna need to get from the city and you need to plan that and making sure that you're fully um, to code and they're gonna come check before you can open doors. Um, when, you, when you do rent a space, it's very easy to look up online what their occupancy limits are. If you need to get a temporary place of assembly, um, you're gonna have to you know, go downtown and get that. Um, they're not expensive, but that's why also pre-planning a few months in advance is gonna give you the opportunity to do that. Um, have a really clear uh, return policy on the doors, like the return is until this is open. Um, if you have it out there in writing and documented, you've communicated that, then you have yourself covered. Um, but what's going to be needed from permits and licensing and stuff is going to vary. Some venues already have a liquor license. Some are going to require you to get it. You can do that under a caterer that you bring into the space. So, Who thought it was so complicated? But it is. All right. This has been absolutely terrific. I want to thank our friends at Apple once again for having us here and having us here tonight. Um, and I hope we've asked you, answered your questions on pop-ups. If we haven't, find us online. Tweet at us. We will answer them. And um, stay warm on this spring night, New York, and have a good evening. <laughs> <laughs>